1: Welcome to another edition of Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin, joined as always by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Helping us out on this episode are Mick and James from You Down With OBP. They have a website, they have a podcast of their own, and most importantly, they seem to like us. We'll be talking about a whole bunch of cool stuff, like the waiver wire, relief pitching, whether outlier players who were drafted super high might still be undervalued, and some details about what our new friends have in store over in their neck of the woods. But before we get to all of that, Mick and James, how are you doing?
2: Hey, we're we're both. I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for having us on. Um, up here in Boston, it's about uh, upper sixties and sunny all day long. So, got outside, walked around the public garden, and excited to do the podcast.
1: Uh, That sounds fantastic. And, uh, number one in the power rankings this week, the Boston Red Sox. Hell yeah. Uh, Who saw that coming, right?
2: (laughs) Unfortunately I didn't, you know, Mick, I'm the Sox fan and, uh, and Mick had to talk me up a little bit you know get me hyped for the season he kept telling me not to be so negative and uh, well I think like that's that's right. in
1: the blood right I, as I was doing the same thing I was talking at the beginning of the season, I was like, I think that their mission this year is to not lose a hundred games <laughs> and now they're they're playing really well, so <laughs> yeah. you never know what's going on
2: It's tough with the ownership you know you love the team, but sometimes you wonder uh
1: with the ownership
2: they they didn't mm. I just didn't have faith that they were putting that product together, but it looks like they have so far so. I don't know if it
1: was was by design or by dumb luck, but uh, hey, it's fun (laughs) either way, right? For sure. Hey,
3: Mickey, how are you doing down there? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I live in Sacramento and it's about 95, so a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little bit different. Yeah, a little different. Uh, But yeah, it's great to be on the pod. Yeah, obviously, we're both big fans. Uh, I'm a huge fan. And uh, first heard about Alexander when he made his uh, ESPN Player Raider article was broken. And, uh, since, and when I heard you guys had a podcast, started listening. And now I look forward to it every Friday. So it's, a, it's an honor to be on. Well, man, we are psyched to have you. I mean, we're just a couple of guys just recording silly things
1: every week and, uh, and putting it out there. So we're glad you're listening. And we're super, super jazzed to have you with us. Alex, how are things in D.C.?
4: um i mean basically like add two or three degrees and a lot of cicadas (laughs) to um, boston (laughs) and i think you get pretty much the same. i was
2: gonna ask about is it the brood brood x (laughs) um yeah so
4: i actually live a a little bit north by like that like two miles north so like most of the cicadas right now are like basically like national mall and a little bit like southwest of there um so like really really hurting the tourists, but for me it's fine so far. <laughs> My older brother is um, in DC. I'm also on the fifth floor.
2: Uh, and I, yeah, yeah, I've like, been checking in with him. It's a good place. <laughs> about the cicadas. I like it here. <laughs> it's
1: crazy, right? I, I mean, I there were a bunch out around here. I'm in Connecticut, so kind of the split the difference there between Boston and DC. I remember a bunch of them being out last year. Uh, I like to play golf from time to time, or at least I go out with golf clubs and balls and, and do something on the course. Uh, and there were these – I swear I thought murder hornets had made it to the East Coast and nobody had said anything. And uh, we're, we're out playing golf. My ball lands, and there's just they're, – they're everywhere. They're They're huge. I'm trying to do visual here. It's a podcast that doesn't work. They were enormous. I, I swear they were murder hornets. It turns out they're like cicada killers that come out every few years too, but they're, they're scary. They'll leave us alone though. So I could go and, and duff my way across the course, but I was, I, that was frightening. That was pretty uh, intense for a little bit there. <laughs> All right. Well, we are like I said, super excited to have have you on. This is the first time that we're we're doing uh four people in one pod. So, we're we're going to see how this goes. I'm sure it's going to be brilliant. <laughs> yes. Uh, Alex has his fingers crossed. There another visual cue for all you listeners. We love the visuals. <laughs> we we really absolutely do. do. We're in love with doing visual things that nobody at home can see. Uh the first thing I'd like to jump into uh is talking a little bit about uh, waiver wire approaches. Uh, We're at that point in the season. I mean, with all the injuries and everything, my fantasy season is basically over for me already uh, before it's really even begun. I've had a string of terrible luck. Uh, lots of guys on the IL guys underperforming. I was so excited about these teams I drafted and I'm just getting obliterated. Uh, but it is the season to try and go make that up on the waiver wire. So uh, either of you can jump in. It does not matter to me uh, where, where we go. Well, I mean, Alex, you're invited to participate too. Um, I don't want to leave you out, (laughs) Uh, but what are your waiver wire approaches this point in the, uh, the season?
3: Um, I've been writing an article every week. uh, The waiver wire guys under 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, and 5% on Yahoo. Um, Just, Just kind of to help myself, you know, figure out who's out there every week, starting on like Friday, I go through who's under 50%, write them down, then write bullet points for most of them, and then publish article on Sunday. And uh, I don't know. I mean, when I look for guys, there's a couple of different things I look for, uh, guys who've done it before, whether that's like a season a couple of years ago or in the minors consistently. Uh, I look at those guys, guys who changed, which is something that you guys have talked in previous podcasts. Whether that's right. change team like CJ Cron, change their spot in the lineup or change their approach, you know? And yep, yep. then I'm I'm kind of a power steals guy. So Tyler O'Neill, guys like that, they kind of interest me. Um, and of course, closers. I'm always looking for closers. I'm always looking for the next guy who's <laughs> gonna be a closer. So like Cesar Valdez this year, Yumi Garcia, Lou Trevino, guys like this who have popped up when they weren't the closer, yep. start the year. James, where's uh, what's your approach like?
2: Yeah. So I would say, you know, a little less scientific than Mick, but I would say generally one is, you know, I have my kind of my darlings as far as, you know, who I follow and, and read articles on and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. with with regards to their approach, I think one thing I like to do is um, I generally look at youth. You know, if I see somebody and they're trending in the right direction, you know, a lot of people are picking them up. I, I like to look at see how old they are and then look to see if they had that shine on them at the beginning. And maybe the yeah, first, yeah. the first time up in the bigs, they kind of didn't really pan out, but you know, I, I think there's something to be said for having that previous shine in the minors and what have you. So I try to find those guys that were darlings for a bit, their first, their first, you know, time getting a chance, they kind of fell apart a little bit or didn't click form. And then if I see they're kind of trending in year two or three or what have you, um, I try to scoop those guys up because, um, that's generally kind of the, and they're the most fun to root for generally. Yeah. Um, yeah you yeah, know,
1: yeah. i get excited about
2: one thing I think both me and Mick like to do in general with the fantasy is obviously we want to win, but it just makes your baseball viewing experience so much more fun that we're always trying to find guys that are kind of a blast and inject some energy in the game.
1: Yeah. That's a great approach. Uh, Alex, where do you fall on this uh, kind of gut feel versus, I don't even know why I'm asking you what's your approach. I'm sure it's numbers based. <laughs>
4: So I actually want to bring up a couple guys who I feel like I've been picking back up in a couple different leagues or like who my opinions have sort of changed on and who I feel like are weirdly underowned. I feel like I'm usually looking for a guy who like in my opinion shouldn't be but like has some sort of like the community or the viewers or the whoever else is like weirdly out on a guy for a particular reason. Mm-hmm. So like if I can see like there's a couple different camps there like I got, like Tyler Nguyen who I've <laughs> now added to like a trillion different teams. Um by any like reasonable take his name off of the uh, uh, top of the page sort of approach, like he's doing so many, so many good things right now and has been since being gang of 2020. You can call it small sample. If you're like willfully excluding how good he was last year, essentially. But like at this point, he's got like a half season of data where he's been really, really excellent. Like we're talking like a top 25 hitter in terms of heart hit per PA, but his name's just not out there. Right. So like those, almost shouldn't count to me like those should be freebies for guys like us but you know like guys like um i wrote a twitter thread about tommy fam and about how he's been extraordinarily unlucky when it comes to and this was kind of like a name but like sweet spot contact mm-hmm. like basically if he hits the ball well um however you wanted to define well mathematically i don't i'm not the guys, cast guys who do that he's just not having those balls land on grass or in seats um like he's hitting the ball hard. He's hitting the ball not into the ground and it's finding gloves. Yeah. Um, and so he's been dropped. Um, and I have picked him back up in some leagues where I have some bench flexibility and I can like deal with his being like semi platooned. Everyone in San Diego has terrible <laughs> injury luck right now. So yeah. he's going to get like 80% playing time. And then like other guys, like I noticed um, Evan Longoria has been on just like a, a really really good when he is playing healthy he is playing well yep. bit for the past couple of years um so like again same sort of thing for him if i see his lineups look good for the next two days i'm willing to pick him up for different teams i'm not like trying to make bets with a lot of these different like lineup pickups at this point because we're like probably not like, past people breaking out but like getting to the end of it like it's gonna be hard to find a guy unless they're literally being called up right now who's like already on a major league roster and like hasn't started benefited from making changes like at this point we're playing waivers basically just to like kind of fill in the gaps right so I'm mostly just trying to like not be extraordinarily wrong not roster like a total bum and uh, do my best I'm not very good at that always but you know at some point like someone who's had some bad luck and frustrated a guy is going to start performing well. And it can be on your roster. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. It could also be on someone else's. We'll see. <laughs> think about Naquine, I think this
3: Sorry. thing about uh, Nate is uh, that when I looked at like his roster ship keeps going down, down, down. And I I expected that, Oh, he's must be doing terrible at the end of April, May in May. His OPS is around 900. It's again, a small sample size, yeah. but he's, it's not like he's dropped off. His own, his rostership was probably 80% at the beginning of the year when he started off on fire. But people kind of, yeah, that, exactly. We, people kind of soured yeah. on him, but he hasn't really been bad.
4: Yeah. I think his big problem has been that um, he's like 3.5 on the pecking order in Cincinnati. And when, you know, it was senzel Winker, and Castellanos are all playing. He was sitting. Yeah. And then they decided that Jonathan India isn't good enough to be like starting, but haven't demoted him. So Senzel's been playing second, and he's like effectively just given outfield reps back to um a dude who's been good in Tyler Nickwin. Um Nickwin was also like really good in limited playing time in or not even that limited playing time, I should say, last year in um in Cleveland. So it's like, you know, like if you don't watch the central division, like it's easy to miss on some people who are reasonably talented, I guess better than me.
1: (laughs) Well, I think opportunity is a, is a big thing, right? And that's one of those narratives that we talk about where, um, you know, if a guy's getting at bats, that's, that's a big deal. If, if he's platooning or he's, you know, kind of getting in whenever or pinch hitting a lot, it's really hard to do those things, uh, and, and get consistent swings when you're not playing consistently. Um, I I was going to talk about uh um with the waiver wire approach I think that it really gets to maybe the difference between people who can be really good analysts and people who are really good players and, and some can be both uh but there is a big difference in the skill set. You can look at the numbers, uh you can identify this that and the other thing, but when do you know like when to let go of somebody or or when it's time to pick somebody up? I think there's a it's t- a totally different skill set and uh you know James it kind of sounds like what you're talking about is a little bit more of that like Uh, yeah, this makes sense, but there's a little bit of a gut feel, or I want to pick up this guy because I want to root for him. You want to talk a little bit about that side of things?
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one, I I would say, you know, um, what I like to do is combine it. So if I find a guy and I think you guys, I'll probably butcher it, but I was listening to a podcast and and you talked a little bit, when you get into statistics, you can find a statistic, you can if you're buying into a guy, you can usually go hunt down some statistic that's going to help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you need to be objective. With There's it. a slider for that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I, I tend to try to, you know, find the guys and then I'll, I'll go look, you know, be it you guys or one of Mickey's articles or something on fan graphs. And I, I just go look to see, you know, hey, is anybody buying into this? And if so, then I'm, I'm going to jump on it. But I do think and, and me and Mick talk about it a lot and it tends to work for me. I like to have a couple spots that I generally just want to pull the trigger quick with and cut guys and pick guys up and actively Mm -hmm. ride the waiver wire. Uh, I think that's one of the most fun things to do in fantasy sports. And I almost have a tendency when my team is humming along, I'm kind of bored and I want to like, (laughs) you know, I almost wish there was somebody that I could I could cut so I can go, you know, hunt on the waiver wire and root around. Um, And and generally too, it's usually. I like the mashers. So I generally don't Mm -hmm. need to go hunt for home runs on the waiver wire. So I was trying to pick up, you know, maybe some sneaky steals here or um, some average there. And um, but yeah, I think for me, it's it's fast and loose. I like to I like to cut guys quick (laughs) and go hunt on the waiver wire and kind of root around over there.
1: I think you make a really good point about you know if you if you have a draft strategy that uh you tend to come out heavy on on a cat, then your waiver wire strategy's gotta be different than than maybe somebody else in the way that they drafted um and the approach that they take I think that's an excellent point and i don't I don't know if people kind of really talk about that all that much. I think people chase talent on waiver wire uh but maybe don't chase talent with a purpose except maybe some of those you know top players those uh Those uh, big cash game, high stakes, high stakes guys. Um, All right. I want to move into our number of the week here. Uh, And that number right now is 10. Right now there are three pitchers who have 10 or more saves in all of baseball. And really, this is just an excuse to talk about saves and closers uh, and and how that's changed and evolved over time in the game and um, what your approaches are. Um, I, I, and you can talk about formats too. I don't know what your preferred formats might be, but, uh, you know, where, do, where do we find saves in a, uh, uh, a game that doesn't really value a specific guy getting those saves, except in a handful of, of spots throughout the league. Anybody go ahead, Alex. I
4: guess, I guess. <laughs> so, um, uh it's a funny thing. I, I feel like the only leagues where like I'm really extensively caring about saves are like the um pitcherless leagues where I'm like forced to. Um my favorite home league is this like ESPN pseudo dynasty pseudo pseudo-ot-new mess that I just like am really obsessed with eventually winning because I inherited a terrible team. Um and that one's a save and hold league. So like a lot of like the content that I started consuming before I worked for Pitcherlist and then, like, have kind of kept consuming sense has all been, like, save and hold related because I just find myself in similar leagues. And it's so weird to care about a stat that, like, you can tell very, very few people have good reason to, but it's also really funny to do it, and I think that's kind of, like, where my head's finally drifted is that I find saves funny Um, Hmm. because there's something so, so hilarious about a guy coming out for the last, like, out of a game, and then, like, there is a specific, like term that we will call like what happens because of that so um i just want to say like this entire discussion that like will follow from this there's just got to be for anyone who enjoys fantasy some humor to the fact um that the texas rangers closer who is not very good (laughs) but is somehow like (laughs) like just absolutely raking up this statistic uh Ian kennedy right yeah that's one of the 10 guys yeah
1: he has number two are tied for number two with Alex. Williams. I mean, that was another part of what I was going to bring up or the three guys who are the leading. So we'll, we'll save that for a moment though.
2: I have yeah, to say so, I'm yeah, an I, unabashed I, I Ian a Kennedy team. fan.
4: <laughs> I, I rostered him a couple of years ago in the and whole league uh, when he was with the Royals and you know, he, he just picked up a bunch because um, when you're a team that isn't very good, if you're winning games, you're probably not winning by three runs. hmm um, so sometimes you just get lucky, and I, I find there to just to be so much humor and like the unpredictability of it. And then just somebody's got to come out on top, and like, whoever that is, just like, All right, here's the name out of the hat. Yeah, um, right. Have fun. Yeah, right, right.
3: James was talking about that. We talked a little bit before the podcast. He's like, It's the most ridiculous stat out of the 10, you know, the five by <laughs> yeah. five traditional roto. Um, but that kind of makes it fun. It's this abnormal stat. It's, uh, it's like if you got, if one category in fantasy football was touchdowns in the fourth quarter or something just random. <laughs> yeah, and then right, you just right. had to focus on that and find out who did that. Um, and when it comes to drafting closers, every single year, I'm like, I'm going to get one, you know, proven guy, legit guy for all this Chapman, and then I'm going to wait. Um, but what, what happens in every draft is the good closers go way too fast and I don't get any of them. And then I'm just left at, in the final rounds picking guys And then they eventually get cut. And then I end up getting the guys scrounging for guys like Cesar Valdez on the Orioles, um, Lou Trevino on the A's, you know, guys like this, who just (laughs) pop up and get some saves. Absolutely. If I were to ask, uh, or or, uh, had asked you at the beginning of the year,
1: who would be the top three closers in baseball? Just, I mean, by saves, right. Uh, at this point in the season, um, I'm pretty confident we would have a zero percent hit rate on all three. If we were to ask everybody who plays fantasy <laughs> baseball, I don't think any. I mean, I, I don't know. Would would anybody have been like clearly Mark Melanson will be leading the league, uh, followed by Ian Kennedy and Alex Reyes. <laughs> I, I mean, I just I don't I just don't think that anybody would have seen that coming at all. Um, and uh, I mean, you, Matt Barnes at, at five, at fifth with uh, with eight. Um, and there's Chapman and Hader at seven, you know, seven and eight, which are probably a couple of guys that, that would have been put in there. So I, I think it just speaks to the volatility of the save. So I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to go with a, a, an apropos pun and, and say, I'm going to throw you all a curveball here. Um, what is, what would be a better way? What's a better relief pitcher metric? Uh, and if it doesn't exist, what should we, what should we look at to create that would be better uh, as a category? in fantasy than saves. Alex, you can take this one.
4: No, I I think we need to just like fill in like about 10 seconds of silence here to really just stop this. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make Matt have something I I have to go edit out later. (laughs) (laughs) I I think the fact that nobody wanted to jump on that first is really important um, because it's a really hard question. And I feel like when it comes to this more and more, my answer is I want to play points leagues in the future. I know the cop um, out is, every time, Alexander. Yeah, it's 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 such a such a cop out. Is that <laughs> I, I want to play points leagues. Um, I do think that like things like I'm in one league that's net saves and holds, um, which just takes the absurdity of it and just like cranks it up to like 13, um, because like for one, like you can lose a save or a hold in like the stupidest situations, like technically, like you know. Like, ghost runner scoring can be blown saves and that'll ruin things um and holds are stupid too Uh, i never even thought about a blown
1: hold my goodness (laughs) (laughs) no they're still called blown saves technically. yeah
4: yeah it's it's all a bunch of bs um
1: blown saves (laughs) but damn yeah
4: yeah yeah. i feel i feel bad don't worry um so you know i think that you either got to go really far into the deep end of dumb but, like, I do feel like it the future for a lot of these, like, high-stakes leagues should be points. And the fact that it isn't is, I think, kind of just a game where people like to think that, like, they're smart when they're winning a league because someone's, like, suddenly, like, stealing a bunch of bases who still isn't good at baseball, and that makes them a good analyst. And I think there's just something of that. It's, like, you got to make it difficult and esoteric so that you can claim you're good whenever you get lucky. Um, but, you know, I-, I think that that's fun when it's fun. Uh, it's just kind of, like... Eh,
2: the, you know, the tough thing there's actual cloud attached. with saves too you know I, they're kind of fun because they're crazy but it's almost like you're if you're getting good at picking up people that are getting saves you're not you're not figuring out the best closers so it's almost like hey let's reward whomever can find like the best position that these players are in to get save opportunities whereas right. you're not actually doing anything. like like you're almost rewarding the person like you know they have these apps i think that like will send you a text message when somebody gets demoted or promoted for saves and and that's not really any real skill or talent behind it you're just kind of like just staying more on top of this rotating situation than than someone else so it's definitely a, a weakness in the 10 categories for roto but I I don't know if there's a way to easily find some other category to replace it as far as like um, situational relief pitching, you know.
1: So you're telling me I just got to live with it because I hate saves. I hate <laughs> I hate saves and I hate steals. They drive me nuts. Uh, we they're, can play
4: four by four. They're,
1: I mean, well, there that's true. You could if you could convince other people to do that. Um, and, and listen, they're part of the game. I get it. It's just they're both increasingly as, as these years have gone on, uh, both steals and saves have just become so much more scarce that you're not, you're not rostering players who are good at baseball. You're rostering people who are good at that or have the opportunity to earn that. It just, I don't know. It drives me a little bit nuts when, when you're trying to, you know, put together a team of talent and, and here's a, a couple of spots on your team that you have to fill with guys who are not necessarily talented. They're they just happen to have the chance or the opportunity or they're really fast uh, and they steal a lot of bases. So
2: I, I kind of like steals just because I wish there were more steals in baseball.
1: I think it's oh, yeah, if there were know. more, I would like it more. I think the <laughs> fact that it's, you know, like, or oh, this guy's really good, but the manager this year has just arbitrarily decided that nobody's stealing and didn't decide to tell anybody. So, you know, you you buy into them in a draft and suddenly the opportunity is gone or, or, or you know what, As somebody's got a little, little bit of a, a, a tweaked hammy, you know, that, and they're not going to run for three weeks. Um, and you don't know that (laughs) they're not telling you that or
2: they've started playing to their potential and they don't want to risk injuring themselves stealing as as much as they used to kind of thing. Yeah, that's true.
1: You see a lot of, a lot of kids coming up, stealing bases. And then once they they have their spot and they've earned their place or they, they're able to to drive the ball a little bit more, they, they, yeah, they change their game. They change their approach. So that's, it's, I don't know. It just, it feels like you're constantly chasing. Um, And to your point in, in places where you don't necessarily have a fob, system you're rewarding people who just happen to have more time and availability and are on it or, or you know have have paid a subscription fee somewhere to let them know that that something's going down um, All right we, we usually get to identifying our central question a little earlier in the episode but uh, uh, what we're really trying to do here is talk a little bit about how we ask ourselves um, and I think again we got to this with uh, waiver wire and, and all that sort of stuff um, how do we ask ourselves? And if we're going to be tweeting uh, the experts, um, how do we ask the right questions? How do we know what the right question is to ask so that we get the right answer to make it actionable, so that we're making a good decision and not just kind of chasing Statcast data or um, you know hoping that some somebody's going to be really really good? How do we get to those 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 good questions to give us good answers? Um, and one of the questions, Mickey, that you had uh, kind of posed uh, when we were talking pre-show was uh, a really intriguing one, and I really, really think that uh, Alexander is going to be giddy about about this one, um, especially with his boy Otani on the mound tonight. Um, and and that is, do these biggest the the, the really um, outlier players at the top, so the Degroms, the Otanis, um, they get drafted high because they they're outlier players, but are they? Are, should they even be going higher? Like, should Jacob deGrom and, and Shohei Otani be like one-two in drafts? Obviously format-specific. Um, but is there, is there actually room for us to be able to claim that, that these people who are so much better than everybody else um, may be underdrafted, even when they're drafted as high as they are? Uh, so i'm gonna alex i want you to start with this because i i I almost see you bursting at the seams to talk about this and then we can we can go around the the quote-unquote room but uh (laughs) what what are your thoughts on this mr chase so
4: um one of my very 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 first things i ever got to write for pitch list um was like a how much should otani be worth in a perfect world piece basically was like under the guise of like fantasy one-on-one like how do you value two-way with players mm-hmm. but really it just turned into like hey well, let's say that shohei otani hits his 2020 full season projections and you're playing in these different leagues how valuable does that make him i, I just want to say that currently um shohei otani is playing above what projections had assumed him mm-hmm. for because uh, his wrist injury or elbow whatever it was last year made him look not as good yeah so um basically my conclusion was. Um, if he can be like a top thirty-five starting pitcher, and you know part-time Christian Yelich, then he, which is really what he was, like on a per plate appearance basis, per game basis, that's what. Old Christian like. Yelich
1: so, or, or last year Christian Yelich? Oh, the the good oh, one. the good version. Yeah. Okay, um, just wanted to clarify. Th- I was like, <laughs> yeah, if
4: yeah, I was like, extrapolate these stats, um, live in the ESPN world where you can actually have some fun with him. Where should he go? And I was like, yeah, he's worth like. 15 20 more than mike trout that was what I was coming to the conclusion of yeah um so currently he's playing more than that and playing better than that yeah. so um yes to, to to put it softly um yes the really really outlier players are worth that much when they perform that way I think the really difficult thing though is that uh we have really no clue when that's going to happen uh, and I think that the nice thing that kind of sets us up for is people who are sitting here in front of the microphone in early May is like If someone's asking me, like, what do I do with this dude that is on my roster that people are begging me to get rid of for parts? um, I think that that's actually kind of interesting and actionable. It's like, okay, we have some better data now. Like, April data will tell us more about who someone is going to be going forward than maybe some of last year's data would have told us going into the season. It paints a fuller picture of health, of choices, what the manager is feeling about where someone's going to be batting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, otani realistically should like especially if you're like maybe you're in a yahoo league and you got batter otani sitting in your lineup most of the time like how do you value that guy well he should be shooting up your boards if and big if you can have some realistic reason to believe it's not a superbly outlier non-real thing yeah right and that's like I think that what I want people to be asking them, I'm always asking myself, right? Cause those are the same thing. Ultimately like, I got, I want to make myself really expendable in a perfect world where the people I talk to become smarter than me. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, um, should I be being, buying into this? And if so, how valuable does that make this dude? Not. And I think the other side of this becomes, Hey, should I drop this guy or this guy to pick up this guy? Should I make this trade? Yeah. Uh, cause I feel like those questions just lack all of the fun of this. Right. Um, I feel like I like, I don't, get a whole bunch of people in my mentions and i think the people who do answer these questions by the way like genuinely do love the baseball behind it in a way that like i can't bring the energy 24 7 for but like (laughs) if the question you're asking day-to-day is should i drop x or y to pick up um whoever like Tyler aquin like i feel like you're robbing yourself of so much of the fun of all of this and like i I want to have those discussions like hey this Tyler aquin dude he's like hitting the crap out of the ball and batting all the time like i should buy this right like i should be willing to drop this because this is real i think those are so much different questions even if the, the thing you're doing at the end of the day is so similar and i just love so much more whenever like the thing we can do is just like obsess over a guy who we were all super wrong about <laughs> in, in late march and uh you know that's that's why I, I do this
3: right what do you guys think i mean yeah the reason the reason i brought it up is because i'm fascinated by uh you know my Every draft I do, I want to, not every draft, but I want to get DeGrom in most drafts I do um, because he's been so good for so long. And when I look at Z-scores, he is an outlier. Like, he's really good. I mean, Cole's there, Bieber's there, and then there's a big drop-off. But always, mm -hmm. DeGrom is number one in terms of my Z-score. I'm not sure about you, Alexander, but...
4: Yeah, it'll vary based off of, like, a bunch of nonsense, but if he's not in the top 10 or so, then I know I've done something wrong. and I go check my code <laughs> typically.
3: Yeah. And I'm, and I'm definitely not doing advanced Z scores, but you know, I like to put them together and, and always the Grom is so high and, and such an outlier. Uh, obviously he's injured right now, but it seems fairly minor. I mean, maybe fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully he just went back to the IL. Hopefully it's, yeah, not too long it, it seems like
4: smart il usage and not just like team flying by the seat of their pants i'm trying to breathe
1: properly that's giving the mets a <laughs> lot of the, i was about to say
2: when we talk about statistics you can't take the other thing out of the fact you know you got to remember it is the mets and you know their history of things yeah
1: yeah like talking about pitchers on the il out in and and uh, dodger land i mean for, my goodness <laughs> <laughs> that could just be they they they've got the sniffles and they want to call somebody up from the minors to fill a, a rotation spot. But I mean at the at the end of the day, I mean, if you're trying to make good decisions and and uh, Alex, I think what you were saying is is really important in terms of the the fantasy baseball player. Um if your mission in tweeting at at all these people is to get them to manage your team for you, um You're probably asking the wrong questions and you're probably – you're not learning from that experience the way that you are if you're asking the question, you know, I'm thinking about this, should I do it because – those are, those are very different. Should I do this because I think it's sustainable? Should I do it because I think he's made a change? Should I do it because there's a story or a narrative behind it rather than this guy's the most added, I don't know what I'm talking about, should I drop this guy for that guy? Um, because you're not growing and learning as a fantasy player f- from that point of view um, as I sit here losing all my fantasy leagues this year, but... Um I I do think that if if you're asking good questions you're much more likely to get good results if you're just chasing the hottest commodity uh it's like it's almost like day trading right like you've got to have a plan you can't just be going into the stock market and chasing whatever's uh up because you're probably going to be investing at peak and and like all of the value has been on the waiver wire you're grabbing somebody you might get a couple of days and it's going to plummet and you're constantly chasing what you're, you're missing out on things as opposed to getting somebody when right before they're about to do something great.
2: Yeah, you're reacting, no. you're being reactive instead of proactive.
1: Exactly right. Yep.
4: Now, I want to ask really quickly. Are you saying that day traders know what they're doing? No, <laughs> quite the opposite. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was worried there. <laughs> yeah. I
1: think- no, there's actually, uh I put this, I I, I just did a write-up for her, for Pitcher List. Uh, I, every week I do. Kind of a, a silly uh, recap of the day's events from the f- before uh, that really is supposed to be focused on not necessarily like plays, but just silly things that happen. And and I actually put this in in w- what I what I uh, wrote up about like there's a strategy that that actual investors at, at one point employed, which was look at what day traders are doing and do the exact opposite. Um, <laughs> for that very reason, George. Castanza. Now this was in. Yeah, this was in the context of uh do the opposite of what Matt does on the waiver wire because I finally got fed up waiting for uh uh Kalenic to be called up and then uh I dropped him and like I swear to god it was like three hours later <laughs> the oh, news my. comes that he's coming up. Uh I, I was like, That's it, that's my year. That is my year in uh in a it's like a microcosm of my fantasy season so far um, yeah, I mean, I got like seven injured guys. I'm like, "Ah, I'm holding on. I'm holding on. I'm holding on. He's coming up. He's got to be coming up soon. Uh, and I'm losing and I'm losing. I got to make a move. I got to make a move. And, and so I don't know. I think the anti me, uh, waiver wire strategy, uh, lines up perfectly with the anti day trader strategy, but no, to, to give you the short version of, of that long winded answer, Alexander, I am not saying that day traders know what they're doing. There's a reason why they're day traders and not on wall street. Um, but I do think that in terms of an analogy of where you want to get people, you know, the people who know what they're doing in the stock market are buying low, selling high. Same idea. You don't want to be chasing the stock after it's peaked, um, unless you have good information that it's going to only get better, right? If you're buying at the top, you're not making money. If you're buying a player at the top of a performance or a three-week hot streak, um, you're you're le- less likely to actually benefit from that player. You're more likely to to be riding the 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 poor play that's going to come when they cool off and that's going to be what's in your lineup so i think it's really important to be asking those questions which is why that's kind of the theme of the episode is how how to to craft those questions Um, i would say
2: um the other thing just to stick with the analogy is um when you're saying you know using the investment analogy Mm -hmm. is finding your needs too so for example exactly you know if you're investing for a long-term approach then you're not following it day to day you're looking and seeing you know hey i'm not going to overreact to the short sample size but if you're trying you know if you have a short-term investment horizon maybe you're investing more conservatively you know you're you're investing according to your circumstances as opposed to what the market's doing so you you should kind of be right. using the first thing you do is you you look at what you need and then how to get there and make sure you're in something that's not outside the norm for that. And I think that kind of the same way with the waiver wire. If you've built a team a certain way, maybe you can take a risk on somebody that's a high reward, but could be a flash in the pan versus if you just need a kind of every man to fill the spot and not hurt you too much while you figure out your next move, you know, make sure you're finding your priorities and and aligning them in the right way before you go out and kind of, you know, take a chance on someone.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I think we're on the same page there because that's that's an intentional strategy, right? You're asking the right question. You're trying to answer it with the right guy. If you're an O and four team, I I don't know if I'm talking about anybody in particular, like myself. Uh, you have definitely got different needs, and and you you uh, taking risks when you're you're fighting to try and make yourself relevant for the rest of the season is totally different than if you're sitting there top of the heap. You got a bunch of talent on your bench. You know, you, you want to make a a, a trade. Right, I want to. I'm going to try and even take these two really good players and get a great player. Um, you know that's that's a different approach that you're going then you're going to take if you're you've got a great a great player uh, and you're 0 and four. You know, I mean, you're you're just talking totally different situations. But if you're just guessing, if you're just saying like, okay, I'm just going to look at the most added and take the guy at the top of the list because he must be good. Um, y- then you're just you know you're you're setting yourself up for probably some some sadness.
4: Now I want to make a correction here.
1: In On me? the
4: PL Podcast League, <laughs> Dugout Study Hall is two two and one. Okay, and we're trending up. Oh yeah, I wasn't I
1: wasn't talking about that one. Uh, no, uh, that's we we've uh, that that's another league though where we were absolutely just obliterated in the wrong places at the wrong time with injury. So, um, yeah, yeah, it it's really really fun to, uh
4: be able to complain that you're only doing poorly because all of your players are hurt and not because you're stupid. Um, Now, we'll double back on that later (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Do y'all like co-manage a team? I should ask that because it's actually really fun to have someone else to just be able to talk about how badly you're doing. So I don't know if you guys do that anywhere, but you guys should. It's fun.
3: Yeah, I've co-managed teams. I end up being a little bit of an alpha when I co-manage a team and just (laughs) making decisions. I don't co-manage a team with James, although it'd be fun. And I've said we should, excuse me, but I I have co-managed in the past and I like it. It's definitely a different, a different thing.
1: Um, And I, I, you know, a little bit grounding too. Sometimes I feel like I get a little bit in the weeds because I get in my own head. Having somebody to bounce something off of uh, really does help you from maybe your own, uh, tendencies, right? Cause we all have them. We all have our, our strengths, our weaknesses, our Achilles heels. So it is nice to have somebody to bounce it off of for sure. Um, yeah.
2: Mick effectively co manages teams with me just because I ask him so many questions all the time, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, that's the best kind. Um, <laughs> uh, one other question that you'd, you'd brought up Mickey was uh about player splits and like, when, when do those become something that are a- actionable? So, um, I mean, you're welcome to elaborate on that if I'm not capturing entirely what it is that you're you're getting at. We can uh, go around again around the quote unquote room uh, and talk a little bit about uh, how those splits are helpful and and when
3: they become meaningful. Right. Um. Yeah, I brought this up because you guys mentioned splits probably more than any podcast that I've heard. And I feel like uh, splits are kind of underrated, under talked about. People say this guy's a stud, but they're not really considering that there's two different sides of the plate. There are two different uh, handed pitchers and then there are switch hitters too. So, you know, the conventional wisdom I've heard, like it takes 10 years for splits to be um, normalized, but that's a long time. That's like a whole player's career. (laughs) So if we're saying like, we have to wait 10 years until we know this guy's really good against lefties. We kind of missed out on it. So obviously I'm just sort of curious about like, when does it become actionable when we know a guy's, really good or not good and some of the guys that i was thinking about was like trevor story um just in prep for the podcast i looked up his career ops versus right handers on the road and it's 718 so most people are probably starting trevor story on the road um and he does steal bases so he does have that for him but like should we consider benching him more um yeah i know i i feel like there's a
4: whole lot of like you can pick and find these um the thing that I've been on a kick for bringing up, I feel like people should acknowledge that more, so I'm going to try to do it, is this thing called, like, uh, the Wyatt Earp effect. Um, and are you guys familiar with Wyatt Earp? I'm sure you guys Just have all in seen in general, Tombstone like, the guy the from the Tombstone? Cape- yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So um, he did this thing where he didn't die in, like, gunslinger duels many, many, many times in a row. Um, and basically the idea is, like, if you're playing a probability game, like, gunslinger duels or dice or baseball or whatever it is. Some more dangerous Um, than others. (laughs) Yes. Um, (laughs) Dice. You really gotta watch out for them. They're pretty sharp. Um, If you're in those situations, eventually if you play enough of them with enough different people um somebody's gonna look really good when they're not some people are gonna look really bad when they're not i think that you only get to lose once in the guns one for the most part mm-hmm. but like you know there's gonna be actual talented baseball players who look bad in certain situations because you know like I brought, I brought up tommy Pham earlier uh and he's just like bottom of the barrel in terms of luck for some reasons and like there are so many different reasons why splits can be funky um i tend to think that there are a handful of ways you can kind of cheat splits um but like generally speaking like it makes sense why league average regression kind of is a good way to kind of just like punt the entire concept right um you know if the opposing pitcher is releasing his fastball behind your back and also releasing his slider behind your back, and you realize at about the point where you have to start swinging what it actually is, you're gonna be screwed. Especially <laughs> as those pitches are getting faster and faster. Yeah, no kidding. I, I have, I'm like, I'm sitting here in this chair just coming up with this theory right now, but it would not surprise me whatsoever um, if there was some sort of relationship between like pitch velocity and like splits of some sort. Like, it would not surprise me at all if guys who throw eighty nine mile an hour flat fastballs um are the guys who uh tend to have you know pretty much the same thing versus uh, guys who are doing something different. You know, I'm anyways, that's something for me to look forward to <laughs> Sounds out. Sounds like a future, future article. But yeah, yeah. Or at least just like a like three stat cast searches, five tweets and I don't <laughs> get around to writing eight thousand words on it. Um but like there's a reason for these things to exist, right? Um if you're batting against a same handed pitcher, it's hard um and it's already hard right so I, I think that like whenever you go looking for the guys who have done really well um they're typically going to be doing something to make that happen um one of the things you can do for example is not face guys who uh, um rely on like really ridiculous sliders that catch you out on the end of the plate i might say do like people don't actually get to make that choice right so yeah. like, here like if you have managed to get yourself against a specific like sample where you're facing people who don't have the specific reason that splits are so nasty it's gonna happen. I saw this interesting like statistical thing show up on my timeline, and I'm sure someone will take credit for it if I'm not careful. they were talking about like I think it was Tom Tango, uh, I'll be honest. Um, it was like the per pitch type splits for Mike Trout, right? Mm-hmm. So he's been better against righties when it comes to change ups, and I think I think curveballs. But like basically for everything else, he's better against uh lefties. Um and there's a reason for that. Um changeups break in a certain direction sliders break in another direction it's hard to hit the baseball um so like i tend to think that like you know we should just kind of assume the league average and then play that to our advantage exactly as you're pointing out basically it's like yeah um if you're trevor story and it's really hard to hit baseballs against people who throw with the same hand as the side of the plate you bat from and also you have that further disadvantage of not playing in cores um yeah if, if you're playing you know like but to play, say perfect storm um you're also playing in against an opposing team whose catcher is pretty good at throwing people out you know not the dodgers right now yeah i would consider ben- benching someone like him once in a while in shallow leagues um now you can feel really stupid yeah um when it goes wrong but there's definitely some reason behind it
1: so i i have to uh, imagine though alex that if you're talking about splitting the splits right like He's really good against sliders left who are left-handed. Like that's got to take even longer to normalize, right? Because your sample size is even that much smaller.
4: Well, more what I'm saying here is not like they're like, okay, that this person's particular pitch type splits. We should rely on them. It's more like, okay, you got a right-handed batter in your lineup, like say like you got like Alex Bregman in your lineup or someone like that, and he's facing a right-handed opposing pitcher, and you're like, okay, and that righty throws mostly stuff that is meant to destroy other right-handed pitchers like sliders it's like okay you can reasonably predict that he's not going to be his full best self today now if you're facing a guy who is like a sinker change-up guy i can reasonably predict that because of the way that change-ups break towards you know if you're a righty they they break pinky side uh and they break towards right-handed batters and into the outfield seats if you're not careful. (laughs) <laughs> right that's how that works um so yeah it, it makes it makes a whole lot of sense then just like there are certain pitchers who you can reasonably predict this guy's arsenal is meant to do sweet contact and the guys who are good at putting the ball into play well are gonna have a different sort of game than the guys who are trying to induce no contact whatsoever and are especially good at doing that against um same-handed batters so like there's there's some logic to it and really at that point you're not so much betting on individuals you're betting on like the laws of physics to kind of work in your favor um and it's like you know the 10-year normalization isn't actually the number we should care about then it's more like we should look at the gap between um between splits and the league average level and just just not try
2: to outsmart ourselves i think is kind of the big thing would not you outsmarting
1: say- <laughs> ourselves yeah that's a good good rule of thumb
2: would you say just The trend we're seeing in baseball with starting pitchers going fewer and fewer innings would influence how you view splits at all, or not really?
4: Mm, So, yeah, so you're saying then, like, okay, um, I'm the Astros and I'm facing the Rays, and the Astros, um, know what they're doing, and the pardon me, the Astros don't actually change their lineups at all ever. Dusty Baker, like, is really stubborn about like Hmm. he faces like he his lineup is built for being good against lefties almost it's really stupid um (laughs) right so like he's facing the rays and the rays are like yeah we can like run circles around these people who are too lazy to do the right thing um and as a result alex bregman's true talent is different than what his stats would be well guess what dusty baker's still going to do this stuff no matter how smart we want to be in our analyst chairs right so like um i think that when you try to break apart like how good is someone versus how well have they produced and can that tell us who they're going to be in the future there's there's usually gotta be like some sort of story that you gotta find somewhere that's like the true story behind it. Um, I imagine if you're someone like the Rays and you're trying to figure out a guy who's like pretty much only batting against the splits, like like, you know, it's gonna be really difficult to figure out what's going on with the opposing everything else. You're talking about like additional complication, right? Yeah. Yeah, when things get more complicated, they get more complicated, right? You <laughs> <Right. laughs> gotta kind of lean into just knowing that we're gonna know us. It's an
1: interesting thought, um, though. You know, yeah. like if you if you look at a guy, batters used to get kind of a third look at a pitcher, right? So <laughs> over the course of a season, how many third looks do they get? How much more effective were they, and how did that affect their numbers? If that's no longer happening, if they're getting two at bats and then it's a different guy with a different arm angle, a different arsenal, a different velocity. Um, I can see that uh, not being the statistician on the team here, but uh, I could see that over the course of a season having a negative impact on an overall, uh, you know, a bell curve kind of basis.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like it when he says,
1: um, "Yeah, yeah." That means I said something smart.
3: Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> um, that's exactly my tell. Good job. <laughs> it's, you guys ever heard of Stratomatic? It's like a it's like a simulation yes. game. It's kind of like uh, magic cards meets baseball. You roll dice to figure out what the outcome is. Mm. Uh, um, We talked about
4: this on our pod um, with Steve Paulo a little bit. Oh Uh, yeah,
3: yeah, he did bring it up in score score sheet or whatever the other one was. Yeah, 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 exactly. And um, uh, I was in a league, and you could start a lefty pitcher, say, you know, uh, for two innings, and then bring in a righty, and you totally screw your opponent because they made their whole (laughs) lineup to face a lefty. So I could see the Rays doing that with like Shane McClanahan as, like, the opener for three innings, and then Luis Patino or somebody like that. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's minor things, but maybe they kind of get the other team's lefty lineup and then switch it up.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, these days, a lot of, like, the opener combos... Uh, yeah, Angels did this Monday night, to so last night for us uh, with Javi Guerra, I think, where he, he came in, uh, he's a lefty, and then they're going to have a righty behind him who's going to pitch, like, four. And it was, like, the first guy is going to pitch less... The idea is you get the heart of the order, um, the first time through with a bad thing, and I'm curious then actually if you take your suggestion there, where it's actually more like even split, um, and but you start off with like the lefty or whatever, and you just throw the guy a little bit deeper. Because I've I've been like advocating for like we need once through the order guys as like kind of like the replacement for starters, where each team will have a couple aces and a couple like you know two pitch once through the order. Uh, screw you! I throw a hundred <laughs> from the left side of the mound, guys, and that's where I think Shane McClanahan will find his niche eventually. But um, yeah, no, ex- exactly that logic. You know that there's someone in a front office somewhere trying to find the numbers that justify that approach because they're absolutely obsessed with it. Um, and I mean, we'll as, see the game, if they're
1: right. as the game changes and evolves over time, I think it does make it harder to compare. I mean, that's why we talk about different eras in baseball, right? It makes it a lot harder to compare uh, 2021 to 2011, we got a new ball. We have guys throwing harder than they've ever thrown. Uh, hang time isn't the same. So to try and say like, well, this OPS versus that OPS this year versus that year, this player versus that player, it just becomes so hard because there there's just too many variables. There's too many variables within a given year, uh, even a a game, right? And and you start introducing more and more of that variance and it just becomes that much harder to, to nail things down. Um, I'm going to move us forward. We usually do a pass-fail segment, but rather than pass-fail, um, I'm going to do a buy-sell instead this time around. Uh, I'm going to throw this out, and uh, I'm going to try and get all of you or each, each of you to just give me a buy or a sell, but I'm sure we will have conversation that ensues. Uh, and I'm going to start, James, with you. Number one is buy or sell. The Boston Red Sox are a playoff team. I'm buying it.
2: I wasn't buying it before the season started. (laughs) And I'll say, you know, I'm not exactly buying this version of the Boston Red Sox, you know, um, but I am buying that they'd be a playoff team. I think the bats seem legit. You know, Um, I'm buying J.D. Martinez's bounce back season. Uh, You know, I'm buying bogey endeavors. And I think Verdugo is is a steal uh, when we got him. He's playing better. So, you know, Christian Vasquez, I think is a nice little, you know, he's not a hole in the lineup uh, right, as far right. as a catcher is concerned. So I'm buying it. I think that I, I'm an Erod fan when he's healthy. Um, Evaldi, he I don't a know.
1: for him after what he went through, right, E-Rod. Oh, yeah,
2: for sure. And Evaldi, I think he developed a new pitch. So who knows if he's legit or not, but he's playing better. And I think what it's going to come down to is, is Chris Sale going to be healthy? When he comes back, is he going to be Chris Sale or is he going to be a different version of Chris Sale? But yeah,
1: that's a huge difference in a short series, right? Having him available or not.
2: Yeah. But yeah, I, I give it a buy.
1: Yeah. Alexander, where are you at with this?
4: Um, I think it comes down to the fact that I'm like selling pretty much the entire AL's chances of like getting into the playoffs is like well, one of the Well, that's I-
1: um, mathematically impossible. Uh, yeah, exactly. So at some <laughs> point I'm
4: forced to buy someone and if there have to be five teams that get in, I guess the Red Sox are like probably the fourth or fifth best team at the AL at worst this year. Um, I I want to say if I, if I, I'm going to be contrarian a little bit here, I am not buying that their pitching is good. Um, that's not contrarian.
1: That's just fence sitting. It's f- in a, no, no, no. Like, I, I think sitting.
4: that like no, like, they have a really, really good um like starter era right now or some nonsense like that um like right now the white or probably they're not the white socks they're they're just dumb um they're good but dumb the red (laughs) socks have been um good but lucky um i think is part of it is like their pitchers are outperforming how good they should be in a lot of really really important ways the thing is i think the entire al east has terrible pitching and they might actually still be able to kind of like turn Ivaldi into like you know not a punchline and be something um you know long enough this year to kind of last because like if I think about who I'm selling here I'm selling the Rays I'm selling the AL Central other than the White Sox and I'm selling the A's I don't think the A's are for real as the soon to
1: be not in Oakland A's
4: hope to stay there just kind of like statistically because oakland deserves it but that's a whole other oof. yeah well canon wins i'd like to I oakland. think they might so have, i think that leaves me
2: with i think the a's might have uh had more runs scored on them than they've scored against so far this year i'm not positive on that but it's
1: not a good uh, formula for victories <laughs> um yeah you know I, I believe you're right
4: right now because i this is i do love to look at pythagorean uh standings and stuff like that because um you know it's fun. But yeah, no, it basically by virtue of like, I think that at least one of them, if not two of them in the Jays gets in, the, the Red Sox and Jays, I, I think that someone's just got to be good. And so I think if I had to, if I had to bet, um, I would bet on the Red Sox making the playoffs. And if I'm wrong, cool. So- <laughs> All
1: right. I'm going to uh, um go to the next one here. And uh, Alex, I'll start this one with you. Um. this is buy or sell the tigers are the worst team in baseball um how many times can i buy <laughs> <laughs> maybe uh elaborate rather than just say oh buy over and over again okay
4: so um i think there are a couple different things that are kind of like heading against them in general that would make me think okay like these guys could be as a ball club you know the twenty-ninth, twenty-eighth, twenty-seventh worst team in the league. Um, but I think that we just kinda have to look at the fact that they are um floundering against what is easily the most laughable division in baseball. That mm. just has to tell us. Like laughable in the sense that like there are a lot of ownership groups or GMs there who are doing some really, really um, not fun things in terms of roster construction. Um, the central as a whole, you know, but like the AL is central in particular. Like this is a team that's getting beat up on, like, you know, by the likes of, you know, not necessarily by Cleveland, but you know, like Cleveland basically is stripping their roster constantly to not compete, and is still like, you know, better around sea level yeah. there, and you know, the White Sox are trying not to win um between their gm and their manager and they're winning a lot of games the twins have seemingly forgot where all of their sticky stuff that they gave to their pitchers was <laughs> um and like are basically having a, a collective meltdown in their entire bullpen and starting rotation and are still perform and it goes on basically it's just a matter of like if this is who they are um like by far the worst round of differential in baseball at this point, like losing gains by an average of two runs. Like not just, no, not just like their average loss, like on average, every game they're behind by two Mm. runs, including wins. Like no one else in the MLB is close. And then when you look what they've got going on, you know, hitting, um, Akil Badu was cool for a second, but then he became a guy who was, was unprotected in rule five draft for a reason. Um, here who else do i bring up yeah yeah yeah. actually (laughs) i will say i want to say um um i'm forgetting his name at catcher i'm forgetting his name at catcher i feel really bad because i told people to draft him. (laughs) there we are yeah like that's kind of where i'm sitting though with this team is like the people who are exciting are hurt um or in the minors yeah like
1: all right james how do you feel about the detroit tigers I think they're the worst team in baseball, All right, <laughs> you
2: know, uh, I won't pretend to pay too much attention to the terrible teams in baseball. You sure. know, um,
4: I'm an Orioles fan. I have to, <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, for some reason I kind of, you know, it's funny you mentioned the Orioles cause me and Mick talked about this just a little bit before the podcast, the bad teams in baseball. And the one thing I will say, and it doesn't really add too much to the conversation, but when you look at the other terrible teams in baseball and you look at, say the Orioles and, use the pirates as an example, they have absolutely stunning stadiums. So even if you're watching a terrible game, you know, at least you're, you're looking at those stadiums and their works of art. Whereas uh, I'm so excited to go back to camp. Yeah. There. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's absolutely perfect. It's a perfect ballpark. Um, and Detroit, uh, <laughs> you know,
1: it's not yeah, quite the same. Detroit. Um, <laughs> All right, I, we're going to do one more of these, and, and then I want to give uh, both of you an opportunity to talk a little bit about what you've got going on uh, before we sign off. Uh, buy or sell? Um, and uh, Mickey, I'm going to start with you on this one. John uh, Carlos Stanton is currently
3: the favorite for MVP. I'm going to have to sell this one. Um, I just think it's uh, hard to give it to Stanton when Trout is doing what he's doing. Um, if Byron Buxton were healthy, maybe we could give it to Byron Buxton with a 50-50 <laughs> season, but, um, unfortunately he can't stay healthy, but I just, uh, at this point, uh, my vote goes to Trout. He's got a 221 WRC plus hard to beat that. <laughs> I know Those some of those numbers are absolutely
1: crazy at this point in the season. Alex, who's your MVP? AL? we'll go AL MVP.
4: I can't believe you're asking me this. This is offensive. We know who my answer here is. I've already plugged in. That means times.
1: Cedric Mullins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, Shohei Otani yeah. is my MVP pick. And actually, I would say the reason that I think that a Stanton pick for MVP is reasonable and that I would buy actually Stanton's MVP odds is that I think that we're going to see Trout Otani ticket splitting this year. Mm. Um yeah, like I-, I think that I think that that's just like the-, the way of the world. Also, it does matter that the Angels one are not gonna make the playoffs Hmm. and two are going to play a lot of 10 p.m eastern time games um and we know who votes for mvp yeah these are just the rules um if you live on the west coast and you're not getting that 7 p.m prime time spot repeatedly and they got it tonight for their astros game which i have on on my other screen Hmm. um you're just in a bad place um mike trout should have more mvps If Mike Trout hasn't been able to win MVPs um, in his position, like the team not getting better and having extra competition from, you know, the guy next to him in this batting order is not going to bode well for either of their chances. So yeah, I think that um, Stanton for MVP, like, you know, it's early, it could be any number of other AL East players basically. And by that, I mean, it could be Garrett Cole, it could be uh it could be judge it could be uh you see where i going. yeah yeah sure um so yeah i do think though that if um if the world was reasonable um probably someone from the Yankees wouldn't but i think they're gonna have the best record and their best player is going to mvp
1: yeah all right james Who's i would sell guy? it Um uh, i wouldn't say
2: it's stan i don't love you know i think dh hurts him too but yeah. um um, you know, hey, J.D. Martinez is having a better year right now. I wouldn't say <laughs> I, I'm pulling for him either. I, I think it's Trout. You know, I've, I'm pulling for Otani because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, not to say that Trout is a boring player, <laughs> My God. Right, right. But right. Um, I just think it's so friggin' cool what Otani's doing that um, if there's justice, I, I'd like to see him get it. But, you know, I think that's a good point. Maybe they split some votes or what have you. But I do think, you know... Um, I think Atani captures the imagination of a lot of sports fans so I could see that um that's that's you know giving him a little bit more um of the votes than you would normally just cuz it's novel not to yeah. discredit it but you know there's you can be both novel and impressive
1: and if something's um, going to get the eyeballs of the east coast it's going to be something cool like that exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, also, he's
4: more interesting than a guy who is into the weather. As is, like, <laughs> point yeah, his it, isn't it
2: funny that we have Mike Proud? He's like, like I love the guy, but yeah, he's not exactly Michael Jordan when it comes to charisma.
1: <laughs> it would be pretty cool to see Otani win MVP and Cy Young. Uh, not that, <laughs> not that I'm predicting this, but uh, not because he's just such a dominant pitcher, but because he won them each in their own for own way, right? By being an an excellent pitcher and being an excellent hitter. That would be pretty, pretty interesting. Um, All right. We are are a little long here, but before we go, I definitely want to give both of you an opportunity to talk a little bit. You've got a a website, you've got your podcast. Um, Talk to us about what you've got going on, uh, what you you're thinking about in the future, what your next moves are. Um, Tell, tell the listeners where they can find you talk, talk about your stuff.
3: Yeah. uh, We're on Twitter at you down with OBP, and that's the letter U. And the website is udownwithobp.com with the letter U. Um, for me, you know, I'm going to keep writing those waiver wire articles every Sunday. Um, it's that time of year where I think it'd be a good time for an article about the best um, prospects that still haven't been called up. So I'm, I got mm-hmm. one of those in the works. And uh, just when I read articles, I want them to, you know, help me too. So I, tr- I try to yeah. think of stuff that uh, will be interesting to write, uh, not, not a drag and sort of go from there. Um, yeah James anything you want to add about our uh our little platform
2: um you know I think what we want to do is uh I want to keep posing questions to Mick that keep him on his toes um <laughs> <laughs> you know I think we want you know we try to like I mentioned earlier I just want to keep interjecting some fun and some energy into the fantasy baseball world um and ultimately you know while I like winning uh I started when I started doing fantasy, I don't know, I didn't do it all the time, maybe five, six years ago, um, started getting into it. And it just kind of, you know, reminded me of how much I love baseball. And mm-hmm. um, it just adds value. So, you know, I want to keep kind of doing that, bringing up fun players. I think ultimately, you know, the holy grail for me and Mick is to, uh, to get Joey Gallo on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> so if we can do that, then, you know, we'll be winning. But Honestly, it's, you know, we've talked about it too in the fantasy baseball community. I, I guess sometimes people have negative interactions with it, but it's been nothing but positive for us. I mean, you guys had us on, uh, Jeff Erickson had us on his podcast, which was pretty cool. So, um, you know, everybody's been super nice and it's, it's a cool little community. So, I don't want to say, you know, the journey was the friends we met along the way, but um, <laughs> you know, I think just keep meeting cool people. Keep, you know, have keep encouraging Mick to, to write the articles. Cause he's, he's really, you know, to give him credit, it's, his baby you know i'm kind of just Mm -hmm. a goofball that poses some questions but um (laughs) he's been killing it on the website i really like the layout so just keep doing that and and, stop pointing at me alex (laughs) 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 but you know yeah just um keep encouraging mick to do it and keep getting more popular not that we really you know do it to become popular it's just more you know a
1: lark definitely
4: i want to chime in really quickly to note that pretty much all of my, like, personal fantasy teams are in some way inspired by J- Joey Gallo. Like, in terms of their naming, I have one that's Gallo's Humor, <laughs> um, and another one that's XO Globe Lifey, like, you know, like the Lulu Izzy Vert song. I, I grew up in the Dallas area, and I'm not a Rangers fan, but I do just, you know... Yeah, we. I like <laughs> extreme things.
2: Yeah, he's um, the rooster is what we call him because that's what his name is in Spanish. But
1: um, oh, yeah, yeah. If we,
2: me and Mick, we would be remiss if we didn't bring up Gallo at least once in
1: any podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, we we almost made it through without it. I'm so <laughs> glad you brought him up. I would have felt terrible. <laughs> I would have felt terrible.
2: He's starting, he's st- his power starting to show through. I don't think we ever doubted it would at some point. But um, that team's interesting. It's more interesting than I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah. yeah.
4: Chris Young looks like he's going to be a really good GM. Um, and I'm tuning in on purpose to watch Rangers games often because they're facing Otani, but still <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tuning into Gallo at bats. Um, and you know, the Walmart in Arlington is nothing if not interesting to look at. That. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Well, please make sure that all of you, uh, listening are checking out what, uh, what James and Mickey are doing. Um, they told you where they can, uh, where you can find them. Alex, can you uh, let the people know where they can find us? Well, they can find you on Twitter at the Corked
4: Mat. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate, and most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pictureless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind, and. If you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.